Hello and welcome to JOSPT Insights, the podcast that aims to help you translate quality research to quality practice. I'm Claire Ardern, the Editor-in-Chief of the Journal of Orthopaedic and Sports Physical Therapy. It's great to have you listening today. Thank you for joining us on JOSPT Insights. Today, we're sitting down for another case series with Dr. Mike Rosenthal. Dr. Mike Rosenthal is a residency-trained physical therapist from the Army Baylor University PT program who worked as a PT in the Navy for 24 years, held director of rehabilitation positions at numerous military healthcare facilities, and also served as consultant to the Navy Surgeon General. He has been an associate editor for the JOSPT musculoskeletal imaging feature since 2016. He's currently an associate professor in the DPT program at the University of Nebraska Medical Center and faculty in the Evidence in Motion Sports PT Residency. My name is Dan Chapman. I'm a U.S.-based physical therapist and owner of Chapman PT in Baltimore, Maryland. And I'm Chelsea Kuman, a physical therapist and athletic trainer at Stanford University Athletics. Mike, thank you so much for joining us on JOSPT Insights. It's, it's wonderful to, to sit down with you and have you on the show. Thanks, Dan. I appreciate you guys having me. I've uh, been listening to the Insights podcast for a long time, probably since the uh, first couple editions. So I'm, I'm excited to be able to be a part of it and look forward to sharing this. What I feel is a very interesting case from some international authors on a, a musculoskeletal imaging case. Tell us about this person that's coming in the door. We have a 67-year-old man uh, who was referred for physical therapy six weeks after a total right hip arthroplasty. The patient had a relatively uneventful past medical history. It included lumbar scoliosis and some persistent nonspecific low back pain. Examination revealed weakness of the right hip muscles, which was expected at this six-week post-op period, and impaired gait, which led the patient to be using crutches. Initial treatment included twice a week in the clinic for three weeks, focused on muscle strengthening and gait training. Patient responded very well to that with improvements in strength and gait. And then on the seventh visit, which is now 10 weeks after the surgery, the patient reported a flare-up of his low back pain and difficulty urinating. So that red flag finding led the therapist to refer the patient to the emergency department where they were diagnosed with urinary tract infection and, and discharged with antibiotics. One week later, the patient showed back up to physical therapy to resume care. And at this time, they reported some new onset of pain, basically resulting in them kind of maintaining a flexed lumbar posture. The therapist noted that the patient also had some swelling in the lower abdomen. They looked pale and the patient reported a new red flag finding of some chest pain. So as a result of that, the therapist was concerned for a number of things and led to immediately sending the patient to the emergency department. High on the therapist's concerns was in addition to cardiac concerns, also the possibility of pulmonary thromboembolism, or perhaps, or in addition to possibly some further infectious process. So the patient underwent some further uh, medical workup there, led to the diagnosis of pulmonary thromboembolism being confirmed. And they also applied the imaging guidelines from the American College of Radiology Appropriateness criteria led to the selection of them doing magnetic resonance imaging for this patient. 
Usually we think of those advanced imaging modalities, MRI, CT scan, et cetera, as something to be done only after radiographs have been performed. But this ACR criteria in this particular case indicates that the most appropriate first line of imaging is actually magnetic resonance imaging. So what that provided for this patient's case and their management was it led to further diagnosis that this patient actually had an infectious process known as spondylodiscitis with abscess of the psoas muscle as well. In this scenario, the, the therapist did a great job of applying the red flags, screening, review of systems to determine appropriate management of that patient, leading to initial diagnosis of their infection, followed up another week later with a new development. Uh, so continuing to do that red flag screening, sometimes maybe something that we get out of a little bit out of the habit of doing, especially when patients are this far out from surgery. Some reports indicate that the majority of DVT thromboembolisms occur within the first six to eight weeks after joint arthroplasties. And in this case, uh, this patient was 11 weeks after their surgeries. Without that meticulous ongoing screening, uh, could have certainly had some dire consequences for this patient's outcome. Sounds like the PT clearly did a really good job of continually reassessing the patient as the plan of care moved forward. What was it about this case in particular that said, hey, let's, let's, let's jump beyond the x-ray and go right to the MRI with or without contrast? In that ACR appropriateness criteria, the general category for it is low back pain. And then from that, there is different variants. So for the low back pain, I believe there is nine or 10 variants. Well, this specific patient followed the variant that's referred to as low back pain with suspicion of cancer, infection, or immunosuppression. Given that additional concern in a patient with low back pain, MRI provides the best imaging modality to provide the greatest level of sensitivity and specificity with regards to picking up inflammatory changes within bone and soft tissue that wouldn't be well visualized with, certainly with radiographs and even not as well visualized with CT scan either. So physical therapists ordering imaging is something that we've talked about a number of times on this show. And so for, for those PTs who are interested in learning more about imaging, learning more about ordering the right types of imaging and the right types of uh, the right circumstances, is this ACR appropriateness criteria open access? Are, are PTs able to access it? And if so, uh, you know, how do they go about doing that? The American College of Radiology has made this open access online to anyone, consumers, healthcare providers, et cetera, really have access to it. I think important for us to be aware of is the ACR has about 11 different categories. So it's not just musculoskeletal. And in fact, this particular case, the low back pain category actually falls under the category of neurologic so if you're looking for cases or if you're looking to apply the ACR criteria and you're looking under musculoskeletal and you don't see something, usually neurologic is probably the next best bet for our practice area. 
And so that's a great resource to have. So thank you, Mike. We will have to link to the ACR appropriateness criteria in the show notes. Mike, what other takeaways do you want listeners to have after listening to this episode? The real importance of continually applying our medical screening and differential screening with patients, no matter where they are in that continuum of care, whether they're a post-operative patient or even in the case of purely conservative management, non-operative case, I think with the complexity of healthcare and medical conditions and drug interactions, we cannot overemphasize the application of our differential screening and especially the, the red flag screening. And on that note, if PTs want to catch up on their red flags or brush up rather, do you have resources that you'd like to point them towards? There's some great resources through our JSPT website, some recent publications from IFOMT specifically about red flag screening. Those organizations continue to kind of revisit those and make sure they're continuing to put out the most current literature to make sure we're not overlooking things and not leaning on red flag screening that may have been in vogue 10, 20 years ago, but making sure we're still using those things that provide us with the most up-to-date evidence. And so, Mike, just so we don't leave our international colleagues out here, where, where did this case take place? The authors of this case were out of Brazil. And with a number of our musculoskeletal imaging cases, I think historically, maybe in the early few years of the musculoskeletal imaging feature, the greater percentage of cases probably came from our military-based physical therapists. I'm pretty sure if we were to take a look of maybe the last five years at least, or maybe even 10 years, we're seeing a lot more non-United States federal healthcare system providers submitting cases, and uh, we're getting more and more of our international colleagues submitting cases as well. Mike, when when our colleagues are submitting these cases, what is it that you're looking for? Can you remind the audience what what is helpful to keep in in mind when writing down these case series and then submitting them to JOSPT cases? A couple of key things to keep in mind with the musculoskeletal imaging feature, and, and this is another good example of it in this case, is the PT doesn't have to be the one that orders the imaging. We know that's not uh, within our rights, depending on state practice act or the country practice act that you're from. So the key things with the musculoskeletal imaging features is, did the PT have a role in the imaging, either recommending the imaging, they may not have been able to order it, but they referred the patient to the right source to get that imaging. So that's one option. The second option, maybe they did order the imaging. And then the other key part is, how did the imaging influence that patient's care. The outcome with this being a pretty concise manuscript feature, the musculoskeletal imaging, we don't get into a lot of the details of the physical therapy management as far as what was actually done in the clinic, but a little summary of kind of a key learning point at the end. How was the imaging influential in the management of this case? Sometimes that does include a little snippet of how the ultimate physical therapy outcome played out as well. Key things are, did the PT have a role in the imaging, either ordering it directly or 
screening and referring to the right case? And then how did the imaging influence that patient's care? Maybe some interesting imaging findings, but if it really didn't have a whole lot of relevance to patient outcome, management, that sort of thing, that's not as useful for us as clinicians. And for the PTs that are listening that they want to submit their case, what's the first step? Where do they go? So go to the JLSPT website and you'll find all the instructions there under the instructions for authors link that'll walk you through the process. And our associate review team, review team will go through that. And we uh, encourage people. These are great resources, both the musculoskeletal imaging feature, as well as the clinical cases. They are great kind of initial steps to uh, submit a manuscript because there's some pretty nice boundaries. You, you know, you don't have to go through a full research manuscript process. And it's a great way to get young clinicians involved, residents, fellows, et cetera. So great way to kind of collaborate also interprofessionally. A number of our musculoskeletal imaging case reports have included radiologists, orthopedic surgeons, other contributing uh, physicians as well. Mike, is there anything else you want the listeners to take away from this episode? We'll include besides the ACR appropriateness criteria link. There's another diagnostic imaging pathway resource that's available online through a group out of Australia that's called Radiology Across Borders. Uh, and we'll make sure that I get that link to you so the listeners can have that resource as well. Oh, absolutely. That would be great. We will have that in the show notes. So definitely check that out as well. Mike, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for coming on JOSPT Insights. And thank you for sharing your your expertise, your knowledge, and this case with all of our listeners. Thank you, Dan. Keep up the great work. One last time, we want to thank Dr. Mike Rosenthal for coming on and sharing this case with all of our listeners. And as always, we want to thank you for listening to JOSPT Insights. Thanks for listening to this episode of JOSPT Insights. For more discussion of the issues in musculoskeletal rehabilitation that are relevant to your practice, subscribe to JOSPT Insights on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, Stitcher, Google, or your favourite podcast app. If you like JOSPT Insights, help others find us. Tell your friends and colleagues and rate and review us. To keep up to date with all the latest JOSPT content, be sure to follow us on Twitter, we're at JOSPT, and Facebook, we're JOSPT Official. Talk with you next time.